Amen. Well, guys, grab hold of a Bible and join us this morning. Would you make your way to the Gospel of John chapter 14? Now, quick FYI, on Sunday mornings, we're working through the book of Daniel, and uh, we'll be back there next week. We pause this morning for a special study because today is Pentecost, a, a day that's significant in church history, and so we want to talk about that in a special way, but we'll be back in Daniel next week. Right now, though, hoping you got a Bible and you're making your way to John 14. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around you, chairs nearby, in front of you, page number on the screen, you can find it electronically. You can use that as well. Inviting all of those here to be in the Word of God, those who are in our overflow, those online, hey, we invite you into the space. We invite you into a place that today uh, we could just make that the focus, and so hoping that God would just meet us in His faithfulness and in His Word. And so let's ask Him for that. Let's take a moment right now as we do each time we approach God's Word. I'm going to lead in prayer, and I'm hoping you would pray as well. Let's ask that God just show us what He has for us this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, just presenting ourselves to You right now, would You open up Your Word to us? Would You meet us in Your truth? Would you help us to understand, but in the understanding, would you take it deeper, and would you meet us, each one individually, in a way that grows us and helps us to understand what you have us to hear this morning? Would you give us ears to hear you this morning? I ask for that for all of us, and ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What an incredibly good truth for us to think through this morning. Yeah, I want to tell you it's true. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now, we want to process that this morning because today is Pentecost. Again, that's why we pause, why we're here to to think this through. Now, maybe that just means a bunch to you, or maybe it doesn't mean a lot. Let me quickly give you a couple quick understandings. Pentecost, what is it? Well, literally, Pentecost means 50 days. That's kind of what its actual reference is, too. And you're like, okay, 50 days from what? Well, 50 days ago was Easter. Yeah, 50 days ago we celebrated and got to walk in that. Pentecost follows that. The, Jews, the Jewish feasts of the Old Testament that are given there, there are seven in the Old Testament, all of them significant, all of them pictures of Jesus, but this one takes place in this space. It takes place 50 days after Easter. Not just our Easter, not just Easter in 2021, though. We're thinking back 1,989 years ago to the Pentecost that happened then. 1,989 years ago, Jesus came. He died on the cross for us. He paid for our sins. He rose from the grave, and 50 days later, Pentecost happens. The fullness of that reality begins there that we get to step into this morning, and that's exactly what we want to try to understand. That's why we're going into this, to think through all that this would be, this whole reality that we get to walk into, all that would be in the midst of that, and I draw your attention to it. Now, to that, let's actually just read it. So you got your Bibles open there, keep your finger there, and turn to the right. Go with me to Acts chapter 2 with me for a moment. Acts chapter 2, we will come back to John. So once we're done here, just flip back over to John, but it's worth just seeing there. So you're in John, Acts is next, about 10 pages. Make your way to chapter 2 when this day and its full significance takes place. Acts 2 verse 1. 
when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. Quick pause, catching it. Hey, this is the followers of Jesus. These are the disciples. This is Pentecost. Not just any Pentecost. I just love the way it says it this way. Pentecost had fully come. All that had ever been intended for it, all that it would be is pictured begins there. It tells us in verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow. Hey, that's where it began. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip back over to John because that's where we're going to be. But I wanted you to read it there because in one sense, we're thinking about the reality. We're thinking about what began there, that Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit pours out in a way upon the church that literally changes everything for the followers of God, changes the way that that would be. And we want to gaze into that this morning. Now, let me be very clear. There's not any sense that I'm going to fully be able to help you understand all that this means to us. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit this morning, but there's no sense that we're talking about everything that that is to us. He is so much more. Even everything that began at Pentecost, I can't unpack for you. It would take a long time, but instead I want to approach it this way. I want us to think about how the Holy Spirit helps us in ways that Jesus promised us. Yeah, it takes place here in John 14, 15, and 16. If you're unaware, John 14, 15, and 16 is an interesting, in fact, fascinating moment. Jesus is with the disciples. It is literally hours before he goes to the cross. The night before he goes to the cross and dies, he sits down with the follower, his followers, and he shares with them some pivotal truths, key truths that would be key for them and for us in carrying us through life, that he's looking upon it and saying, hey, I'm about to leave, and these are the things you need to know. Now, there's so much found in those chapters. We're not encompassing everything that's there. Instead, we want to just find seven times that he talks about the Holy Spirit and that final conversation. Seven times where he identifies what the Spirit would be for us in ways that, again, we want to understand. So that's where we're going to go. We want to talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us. In fact, we ought to just begin with just a quick definition of that, that the Holy Spirit is called the helper. Yeah, you might just notice it in that first reference there in John 14, verse 26. It gives it to us this way. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Hey, pause there. Just hear that. In fact, let me just read those words one more time. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. What I want you just to identify with me right now is the term, the helper, is actually one of the names of the Holy Spirit. It's a designation for him that he's known as the helper. It's part of his name. And in so doing, it's a picture of his character. It's a picture of his work. And that in one sense, when the Bible uses the idea of a name, it's not just a designation. It's a way of us understanding that's who he is that this is what he is by his nature. He's the helper. This is good news for us. 
Quick FYI, that's an interesting Greek word for somebody. It might just help paraclesis that really just pictures this, that pictures one that comes alongside to help. And so many ramifications in that, but defines him who one who comes and is that place of help for us. That's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the Holy Spirit being our help. Now, Again, there's much more that's, that's found in this, and maybe everything I'm about to say this morning are things that you understand in, in one sense by just reminding you of these seven areas that Jesus talks about, the Holy Spirit helping us, will just encourage you again in it. But I do have a sense that for somebody, maybe several, that there's going to be a couple places of this that you just hadn't even thought through. That in one sense, imagine it this way, like you're showing up at a shop where it says, you know, you know, help found here. Like, you know, we help you with things. And so you're like, ah, it's going to go. And you're, you're standing in line to, to get help with something. And somebody in front of you, they ask for help and obtain help. And you might sit there in that line and go, I didn't even know I could do that here. I didn't know that that's what this did. I didn't know that I could bring that into this space. If I had known, I would have come here so much earlier than that. I kind of have that sense here this morning that for some of us, we, we need to see what the Holy Spirit is for us, and we may find, like, I didn't even know I could ask for that help. I didn't even know that that was available, and yet I'm hoping through this morning that it will work in our lives, that we would literally find Him to be the one who is the helper. So in what ways is He the helper? Well, seven things. Again, the first one I just want you to understand as we think about the ways that this works is that He helps us in Jesus' absence. Go with me to chapter 16. John, uh, there if you're there, and John, uh, the chapter's there. I hope you can just flip ahead to John 16, verse 7. Jesus speaking. Just a little bit of background, verse 6. He says, because, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Wow. So as we think about this, Jesus is explaining why this has to happen this way. In so doing, he connects to understand that what we think about when we celebrate Pentecost could never have happened without Jesus' death, resurrection, and his ascension. Yeah, they're all needed. Well, it's again important to understand that because Pentecost is this interesting holiday that is absolutely connected to what went before. That we think about the Feast of First Fruits that fulfills the resurrection that is Jesus. We are connected directly to that. So what this is is flowing from that, that from Jesus' death and resurrection, we have this. But not just his death and resurrection, because that's important. And again, to say it this way, everything that's given to us here could not have happened without this. It did not exist for the people of God in the Old Testament and the way it is for us, because only after the cross and only after the resurrection could this really take place in our lives. But add to that, Jesus had to leave. Jesus had to ascend. He's telling the disciples that they're not excited about it. In fact, he just told them, sorrow has filled your heart. But he says, nevertheless, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's better, Jesus tells them, that he would depart so that the Spirit might come. Now, that is probably, I don't even begin to know if I could unpack that for you. That's probably not what the disciples were thinking. They have just spent three years, three and a half years with Jesus, and one of the things they've learned is that Jesus fixes everything. 
I mean, no matter what happens, whether Peter slices off a servant's you know, ear with his sword or they don't know how to feed 5,000 people, Jesus can handle it. I mean, no matter what the issue was, having Jesus present is, is changes everything. To have Jesus leaving is incredibly not exciting to them. But Jesus says, it's better. It is better for you. It's better for them. It's better for us. I think about it, how it tells us, you know, as, as we think about what it looks like in, the, in 1 Peter, it says, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That the reality is simply this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you haven't seen him. We don't have that physical relationship where we see Jesus face to face right now. Oh, we know about him through his word and we love him. But the way Christianity works right now is that's not what we're living in, but it's better for us. It's better for us right now because of what's happening in this moment. This work of the Spirit, it is to our advantage that this would be there. It's to our, to our benefit, but the connection is solidly there. The connection is solidly there that we would think about it this way. And so, in one sense, this is an area of just understanding that what the Holy Spirit is to us flows out of that. Maybe not as practical as some of the other things we're going to think through this morning, but certainly, again, the key reason that this can take place and does take place in our lives. Okay, that's good. Well, what, is it, what does the Holy Spirit then do that He's going to work into your life and mine? Well, let's think through it this way. I want you to understand one of the key aspects is in the issue of abiding. Now, we sang about that just a moment ago from John 15, that we're to abide, but there's a reality of the way this works even in the power and the presence of the Spirit. So, go to chapter 14, turn back into that chapter if you're there in chapter 16. In chapter 14, begin with me there in verse 15. He gives it to us this way. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus is speaking, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, Jesus says. Wow. Honestly, this may be some of the best things that we get to think about this morning, if God will give me the ability to process it, but there are a couple of things we need to do as we step forward to this. Begin with understanding what he's promising us is something that's unique for the followers of God. It doesn't exist in the world. It isn't true for anybody that doesn't know Jesus. I mean, that's what Jesus just said. Verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. What I'm speaking to you about right now, Jesus says, the world doesn't have it. Nobody who doesn't know Jesus, they don't have this in their lives. In contrast to that, every Christian does. That the Spirit indwells every believer. Again, Jesus saying it there in verse 17, is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will, beginning at Pentecost, be inside you. Began in Pentecost, but it's true for us now so that the reality is for a follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives. So much so Paul could say it this way. He says, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. He says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside you, um, you're not saved. 
Uh, you're not his. This isn't something that's for like special Christians, like, you know, kind of first class Christians who are taking, you know, first class to heaven. They get the spirit of God, but others don't. No, this is all of us. Every Christian has this. In fact, he goes on to say it this way in Romans, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Every child of God has the spirit in them. Now, we just need to process that for a moment. There's more in this verse here that's given to us in the idea of abiding that we need to talk about in a moment. But before we do that, we touch on something that if I'm not clear about it, I'm either going to leave you confused or I'm not going to speak it as just clear as I need to. Let me put it to you this way. This is so important that you understand that the dynamic relationship of what it is to be a Christian, it's life. It's born again, coming to know Jesus and the spirit living inside of you so that we need to say it this way because probably there's somebody maybe in this room, maybe in our overflow, maybe watching online and the honest thing is you're not truly a Christian. For you, Christianity has been a little bit more like a club. It's like joining the Elves Club or something else. It's like I come, I pay my dues, I, you know, I do things. You know, isn't this enough? I mean, isn't it enough that I'm you know, kind of present and, and, and so somehow I'm going to make it into heaven because I'm in this space and I'm just going to say it as clearly as I can. No, it, that, that's not enough. And I, if I could awaken even one person to that reality, that you're here this morning outside of a relationship with God and you've never really been born again and the Holy Spirit isn't inside of you, that your Christianity is club kind of thing, it's not a personal relationship where you know God and He's inside you, then I'm telling you that's what God is offering. That's what Jesus does and there's no other way to be saved. And so if that would meet somebody and rescue you from perishing, by God's grace, I plead with you today, hey, give your life to Jesus, like really be saved, really be saved to have a genuine, authentic relationship with him. Now, saying that, I also want to quickly flip this to another side, because what I recognize is that reality is so very important, but the way it's put here, it might lead somebody to trouble. In this sense, that I might just be making you feel condemned and in a space where you're like, am I really a Christian? I, didn't even, I mean, Holy Spirit, I mean, I kind of know a little bit about him, but I kind of unaware. Does that mean that I'm not actually? I mean, if I'm not really just constantly aware of the, of the work of the Spirit, could that mean that I'm not saved? Well, let's pause in this second promise that's given to us of the Holy Spirit, and let's go to the third one, and then we'll come back. So one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he works in a way of glorifying Jesus. Yeah, that's what he tells us in John 15, so flip over to there. There in verse 26, John 15, verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Those are the key words. And you also, he says, will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit, one of the things he's going to do is he's going to testify of Jesus. He's going to make Jesus the focus. Now, this is really powerful and important to understand because he's telling us what the Holy Spirit does and what he's going to do is he's going to seek to lift Jesus up in the lives of their people so that we would be a Jesus-loving, Jesus-following, Jesus-centered people. Now, I just want you to know that's what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing because there is a sense that he operates in true biblical humility. The idea is that he's going to come and do a work that isn't going to draw attention to himself. 
The Holy Spirit isn't seeking to make himself the center of attention. He's keeping that clearly fixed on Jesus. He's seeing that clearly there, and that's a beautiful picture, which, by the way, is how we're supposed to be living too, because that's what he says. He says, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to testify of me, and we read it there in verse 27. He says, you also, you're going to get to do that as well. You're going to get to bear witness of me that truly our lives are meant to say, hey, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus. You know, we're not drawing you to a relationship with us, we're drawing you to a relationship with Jesus, which is really, really great. But I want to say it to you this way, because this is so real. One of the things that can happen, because the Holy Spirit is making Jesus the focus, is at times we can almost be unaware of the, of the presence of the Spirit, because we're so focused on Jesus. And I want to again say it, I really believe I might be speaking to somebody this morning. Because honestly, you're one of those people that's like, I don't know, Holy Spirit, do I know something about the Holy Spirit? I think I do, I don't know. I, but I, I, I think I have a genuine relationship with Jesus and I love Jesus and I know Jesus and, and it's been my time pursuing Jesus. And you're like, oh, do, do, do I have this? Well, the Holy Spirit's like, that's what I'm doing. I mean, you might not even be aware that I'm doing it, but I'm showing you Jesus because that's the focus and intention. That's what he does, and that's exactly the way he wants it. He's not wanting to be the center of attention. That's important for us to know because I'm reminding you of the work of the Spirit this morning, but please understand it's not that he ever wants to be in this space the focus of that. We're not to be a Holy Spirit-centered people. We're a Jesus-centered people. And the Holy Spirit likes it that way. He wants it that way. Now, that's really, really good news. And again, just meant to be comforting because I think I'm speaking to somebody that you're like, okay, if I don't have the Spirit, I'm not His, and I don't even know, am I not His now? But I do know Jesus is like, well, that's, you're good, but you need to see that it's more than this. It's the Holy Spirit working in you to do that because this is what he does. He glorifies Jesus. He helps us glorify Jesus. It's one of the key things that he's doing in our lives is to make much of Jesus. And that's a good thing. And we need help in that, which again is this third reality that Jesus is promising us, that the Spirit will help us see and make much of Jesus in our lives, which is a really, really good thing. Well, leaving that third one, let's go back to the second, though. So we have this reality. Jesus is telling us the Spirit's going to, you know, make much of Jesus. But one of the realities is he's going to draw us into this abiding relationship, which, again, is what it says back in chapter 14. So you can flip back over there, just a page to your left. There in verse 15, I'll just begin it in verse 16. It says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Hey, let's pause there and just think about this. It says, the, here's what the Father's going to do. He's going to give you another helper. I like this reference, and it kind of ties into what we were just talking about, but the word another is a very powerful word. Some of you are aware of it. It's not just my own understanding. This isn't like you know, brand new information, just reminding you of something that's there. The word another it here is very specific. The New Testament is written in the Greek language. Uh, we speak it in English. It's been translated in English so that you can understand it. But the English language is not as powerful. Uh, it, it's not as a precise of language. Uh, sometimes you can find that in different ways, and this is one of them. We use the word another in a lot of different ways, where the Greek language has a very specific way that it comes across. 
we could use another, say, think about it this way. Let's say we go out to a restaurant this week and we're sitting down and we order a meal and we order a drink. And if you're with me, you might, one of my favorite drinks is like an iced tea lemonade. So let's just say I order an iced tea lemonade and it's really good. It's a really good drink. And so there I am and the waitress comes up to the table and I'm like, could I have another one? Like, I want another. What did I just mean? I want another just like that. That was so good. Give me a refill. I mean, that's what I'm saying when I use the word another. That's, it's a great way to use it. But let's say we were sitting down there and it didn't turn out well because not everybody knows how to make a good iced tea lemonade. I'm just saying. Um, and so sometimes you get it there and it's like, eh, that didn't work. And so the waitress comes to the table and is like, can I have another drink? What do I mean at that moment? I don't mean give me another just like this. It's like, I want something else. This did not work for me. Give me a glass of water, uh, you know, something else that would be there because this was, I want, I want another drink. And so sometimes it can mean I want another of the same thing. Other times it can mean I want something entirely different. We use the same word the same way. The Greek does not, language does not do it. It has one word that says, hey, I, I don't want this. I want something different than this. Then it uses another word that, that when it says it, it's a way of saying, I want it the same exact thing. That's the word that's used here. So that when Jesus is speaking this and he's talking to the disciples about this, he says in verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Another like what? Another just like Jesus. Very profound reality. Again, glorifying Jesus, helping us understand them, but it's worth just quickly letting it soak over us for a moment because I want to tell you that's what the Holy Spirit is like. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise. The, the Trinity, God three in one, it's not like they're different. I mean, Jesus would be able to say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the, Jesus would be able to say, you know, if you've seen the Spirit, he's just like me. That's helpful to understand, but let me kind of just gently say it this way. Not everything that's done in the Holy Spirit's name kind of comes across this way. There's been a bunch of things done in the, the name of the Holy Spirit, especially in the last 100, 200 years in church history. And weird things sometimes given into the name of the Holy Spirit, kind of things, you know, kind of a laughing revival or weird kind of things that if I can just simply tell you, you would look on and think, that doesn't look like Jesus. I cannot picture Jesus, that just I mean, I read through the Gospels, I read what Jesus is like, that's not like him at all. That doesn't even look like him, and I just want to tell you, it's probably not him then, because he's just like Jesus. And I say this because in one sense, I'm speaking to somebody who you're a little bit gun-shy, if I can say it that way, about the Holy Spirit, because you're like, man, there's some weird stuff in the Holy Spirit's name. I, I've seen some things, Pastor, you would tell me, and it's like, I know, I've seen some weird things too, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is not like that. He's just like Jesus. He glorifies Jesus, and you're not meant to be afraid of him. He's this another one that comes alongside, and in his coming alongside, well, again, going to our text, he gives it to us there in verse 16, I'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Notice it in verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. We get this thing that in one sense we think about this one who's just like Jesus, who's coming in the midst of this, and he tells us this in the, in the reality that's there, the, the way that this would work across in our lives, and 
and the way that it would happen in us, which is so incredibly profound. And we think about just the, the, the wonder of what it would be like, and there is this sense of just understanding when we think about that and, and the way he is. He tells us he doesn't orphan us in this. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't, in that sense, leave us in this space where we would face life in a way that would be different than that. Now, this is incredibly good news. It was good news for the disciples because I'm just telling you they felt it. Jesus, you're leaving? Like, what do you mean you're leaving? Like, what, we're going to have to do this without you? I mean, we're going to have to carry on the kingdom of God with that? I mean, this is, was not exciting to them. They needed to know, hey, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you as orphans in this world. But I want to tell you it's more than that because for us here this morning, it's how he looks at you and tells you, I did not leave you alone in this world. I, I'm not wanting you to feel like an orphan that you're alone in the way that you face this world. And one of the things he's doing to overcome that is to give us the Holy Spirit who abides with us, that he helps us to connect. In fact, I think about it this way. He helps us to connect with God the Father and that inside of us, he's connecting us into that by crying out, Abba, Father. Yeah, we get it referenced two times for us that way. Once is in the, the book of Romans where it simply says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Wow, this is really big stuff, but just catch it. He says, this thing that we call Christianity, it's not bondage. We're not under a legalistic, you know, kind of requirement where we're trying to earn our way. That's no longer the way this works. That's not us. We're not in this bondage again to fear. Instead, we've been adopted. We've been adopted into the family of God. And the Spirit of God inside us is crying out, Abba, Father. Abba. It, it's a colloquial term used in, in, the, in the Hebrew and the Aramaic language, but it's a, a word that probably its closest equivalent in the English language would be daddy, because that's how it would be used. Yeah, if you were to go even today over into Israel and maybe watch a young family kind of walking around and they have one of the children running around, you would probably hear the child calling out to his dad, Abba, you know, Abba, you know, like, Daddy, where are you? You know, like, you just, it's, 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 a, it's a tender term. It's a, it's, a, it's a loving kind of a connection. It's more, it's not just a, you know, Father, it's, a, it's, it's Abba that is this connection. He says, this is what the Spirit is doing inside of us. It says it that way again in Galatians, where it says, and because you are sons, God has sent forward the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Because you're really a child of God, because you are, God has sent forth His Spirit into your hearts where this is what He's seeking to do. This is good news. This is help where you need it that I just want to tell you there's a connection that as we live our lives in this world, God is wanting us to live our lives so connected with him that we have that type of relationship. Now, maybe you got that already. Maybe you're already walking in that space with, with the Father, and it's a good space. But I think I'm speaking to somebody who you hear that kind of terminology, but you kind of say something like, but Jim, I'm broken. I mean, I made a mess of my life, or I had a broken childhood, or I just feel relate, just emotionally uh, just inadequate, and so I don't really feel like I could actually have that type of relationship with God. I just want to tell you, this isn't based on you. He's not asking you to create this. He's telling you, if you're a child of God inside of you, 
the Holy Spirit is welling up and drawing you into a space where you could say, Abba, to God, where you would embrace God not just as kind of a reverent, like, Holy Father, that's like who you are. It's like, no, Abba, you're my, you're, my, you're my father. Now, I don't know what that does for you. It means a lot to me, and I don't really think I'm able to express it the way I'd like to, but it's a common thing for me to lean into. I pray through the Lord's Prayer almost every day. I think I shared that with you guys before, and it's a great thing to do in praying, and if you do that, not just word for word, but kind of subject by subject, it can be a great thing to just land on every space where you need to land. If you do that, you would begin with our Father, who art in heaven. It's just not uncommon that I get to that space and I lean hard into this. Like, Lord, I need this. I need to call you Abba. I, 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 I'm not trying to lean on my strength. I need the help of the Holy Spirit so that I can connect, so that I can genuinely not feel, not be. I know I'm not orphaned in this world, but sometimes I can feel alone, but I need this, and that's what the Holy Spirit is helping me with. And I'm just telling you, that's really, really good news for us, that he would be one that would come alongside us to help us in this abiding relationship with God, which is life-giving to us. Well, that's really good news. Maybe you knew that. Maybe you knew that this was available. If not, I'm telling you it is. God is offering help to you to have that, that we would have this abiding relationship with him. But he does more. Not as he's just helping us abide, he's helping us grow in understanding. Yeah, that's what he tells us in John 14, 26. So just go on down there and keep noticing. Jesus says it to him this way, just beginning in verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Yeah, the Holy Spirit teaches us. He comes alongside of us to help us. I want you to imagine it like he is your personal tutor, because this is not something he's just doing, you know, for everyone at the same moment. He says he's going to be with you. He's going to be inside of you, and Jesus is able to say he's going to help you. He's going to come alongside and teach you. Now, that's a beautiful reality. Now, I hope that's not something that's not understood by you because we talk about this almost every week. We will begin a Bible study by asking us, hey, let's take a moment and pray. And we'll say, you know, something maybe quoting from what Jesus did in, in Revelation where he said, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to his churches. And we'll say, hey, this is what we need. You need to, you need to ask the Lord to speak to you that he would help you understand what we're talking about this morning, but more than that, to give you exactly what you need out of it. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, maybe you knew that he did that. Maybe you were like, yeah, I'm pretty aware of that. And I, like, I need that. That's just really it's like helpful. It's kind of like right where you are right now, you can be like, Holy Spirit, help me. Like, I just need to understand what this looks like. He does that. That's exactly what he does. He helps us comprehend his truth, but always in, in that sense of, of, of comprehending it, understanding it, sometimes even bringing it back into remembrance. I mean, that's what Jesus said. He's going to do that for us as he lays it out there in verse 26. He says, the helper whom the, the, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said not just teaching you, helping remember. There's a part of this that flowed into the disciples, them recording these things. That's partially true uh, for the, just the laying out of the New Testament, but it's still practical in our lives, and he just does this. 
If we're, if we're like, God, help me. Help me to remember what I need to remember. Help me to know what I need to know. Like, bring that up, and that's exactly what he does. But he always does so in a way in Jesus' name. It's just kind of worth quickly noting it, that he tells us in the midst of it there in verse 26, that he is going to send the Holy Spirit in the name of Christ, in the character of Christ, or we could say it this way, he's always going to help us to see Jesus, which is what the Bible's actually about. Everything in this book is about Jesus, and so the Holy Spirit is certainly drawing us there. No surprise to us because we understand that's what he's doing. He's helping us keep the focus on Jesus even in our growth. This is good news. This is good news that you and I could get help in growing in our understanding. Add to that, it's kind of similar but a little bit different, that he does a way that not just is growing us in understanding but actually in growth. Yeah, this time go to chapter 16, verse 12. He gives it to us this way. Jesus telling us what the Spirit would be to us in this moment. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. Yeah, we think about what he's offering us here. We think about what he's saying. And what I need you to understand is he's, it's more than just understanding. It's the idea that he's growing us more than just knowledge, although it's found there. Again, it's what we did talk about, that he's going to give us understanding, but it's also more of a growth in Christian living. There's much we could say it here, but I think it might just be easiest for me to tell you this is partially fulfilled in what we know as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, in Galatians, it gives it to us this way as we, as we think about what that looks like. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a really great section with a lot of truth and it says, hey, there's this battle going on inside of us, inside every Christian, that we have the flesh and we have the Spirit. He says, if you'd walk in the Spirit, you won't do the flesh things. Now, the flesh things are bad. He goes and gives a list of them there in Galatians, which we're not going to cover right now. Everything from immorality to, to outbursts of anger to selfish ambitions. He's like, that's what your flesh can do. But he says, if you would walk in the Spirit, it would be different. If you would walk in this, or he says, if you're led by the Spirit, not under the law, not legalistic, it's this place where the Spirit is leading which is what I believe Jesus is speaking about in this section there in John, that the Spirit would be leading us. What's He leading us into? Well, He talks about the fruit. He says, out of this would be that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What an incredible list. What an incredible list, but I'm telling you, this is what the Spirit would do inside of us, that He would grow us in these things. What things? Jesus kind of things. Because I tell you, what, you know what this list looks like? It looks like Jesus. Jesus is loving, joyful. He's the one who's peaceful, long-suffering. Everything that this is, is that. And he's saying, hey, this is what he would do. Jesus says, he'll take what is mine, and he's going to give it to you. He's going to take what is of me and, and bring that into your life, and this would be a part of what you could have in this, that the Holy Spirit would help you in that reality. This is really good news. This is really good news for us because here's the thing. I don't know about you, 
I could use a little bit of help. Because uh, if I were to take this list of the, the fruit of the Spirit and give myself a report card, I'm just going to tell you it's not going to go that well. I mean, it's like, man, I'm not doing that good in that. I mean, I'm that, no, I need it. I'm joy, peace. I, I could use more of that. But I do want to tell you I need to know it's available, that this is available. Because, again, I want to say it this way. I think I might be speaking to somebody who, again, maybe 